Hello and a very warm welcome to the gardening podcast that's for everyone who wants to enjoy growing their own flowers, fruit and vegetables. I'm Dan. And I'm Julia. And together we're two good gardeners. We're an all-inclusive podcast, so whether your garden is big or small, north or south, sunny or shady, we're here to share our gardening know-how and great ideas that you can try at home. We'll be uploading new episodes every fortnight, packed with news, timely tips and the occasional interview with gardeners we admire. We know you're busy people, so we aim to keep things short and sweet. Think of this podcast as a bento box of delicious goodies to be consumed with gusto. And now we've whetted your appetite, let's crack on with this month's episode, sponsored by Anatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Since it's our first episode of Two Good Gardeners, we thought we would tell you a bit about ourselves. Dan's been happily digging in the dirt since he was three years old. At 14, he began selling badges on a market stall and so began parallel careers in horticulture and retail. He studied horticulture and landscape management before starting a long stint at one of Britain's best-loved department stores, where he was known as Mr Christmas. Ten years ago, he started his blog, The Frustrated Gardener, and earlier this year, Dan launched his latest project, dancoopergarden.com, an online shopping destination for garden lovers. Dan loves colour, bold, exotic plants and gardening in containers. His garden has been featured on Gardener's World not once, but twice, and is open for the National Garden Scheme every summer. And I'm still only 21. It's been quite the roller coaster. Like so many of us, Julia's love of gardening was nurtured by her parents. She runs popular fruit and veg growing courses from her home in Sussex. And in 2021, she styled a greenhouse for our sponsor, Alatex, at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, showcasing her sustainable growing ideas. She's back again working with Alatex this May, and I can't wait to see what she's come up with. Julia teamed up with Gilly James, and together they created the Little Growers Cookbook, published by Lettuce Publishing, sharing their love of kids, nature, gardening and healthy eating. Julia's passionate about growing produce, and she's famous for her ingenious reuse of old tins, plastic food containers and egg boxes as planters you'll learn very quickly that she's the thrifty one in this partnership. Well, thanks, Dan. I don't think there's anything wrong in being the thrifty one, but anyway. Um, <laughs> now, moving on. So it's been freezing here over the last fortnight and actually a bit longer. We had snow last week and now we've had much-needed rain. But spring, I feel, is coming. So what's been happening in your garden, Dan, in Kent, and are there any signs of life? There are signs of life, Julia, but there are also attempts to demolish them. We have a uh, <laughs> we have a rat uh, which doesn't live in our garden. I'm very happy to say, but he has munched his way through something like a thousand tulip bulbs that I've got planted in pots. Um, I have got eight left, uh, and they are currently guarded by metal grids with weights on the top, trying to keep the rat out. But I fear we may be fighting a losing battle on that. Thankfully, uh, rodents aren't so keen on hyacinths and daffodils because they're a little bit toxic. So we will still have a display of those, but it's going to be a very disappointing year for the tulips. 
on the allotment we've got a big allotment and uh, we've had a little corner of that which i uh, affectionately call the dump of doom and um it is riddled <laughs> with brambles bindweed and coops grass and i'm having a jolly good go at ridding it of those so um that's been a job for a cold day a rainy day um and it's ongoing and although i'm not as organized as you never as organized as you julia but i have planted my <laughs> first seeds i've got radishes lettuce beetroot chard and even some sweet peas growing them by your method which i think you're going to talk about a little bit later on what's going on over there in sussex oh well quite a lot is going on over here but i can relate slightly to the rodent problem because i too it hasn't been a rat, I don't think. It's been a mouse has been borrowing into some of my tulip containers and helping itself to some of the bulbs, which is deeply upsetting. I did put defences on, so I think some of my tulips will come through. But I think because it's been so cold that the rodents and all the pests have come out looking for more food. But I'm I'm quite lucky because the veg patch here is slightly protected. I've got a part wall, which is nice, so it escapes the harshest of frosts. Um, and But I have been worried because the tulips in containers have needed lots of water. And as you said, there's hardly been any. And usually at this time of year, I am worrying about tulips being waterlogged and, and rotting and not flowering. So so anyway, so now we've had rain, which is great. So I'm collecting lots of rainwater and the tulips look a bit happier. In the greenhouse, I've got quite a lot going on. So yes, it's great you've been sowing your, your veggies too, but I've been quite ahead of the game. The heating has been on. In the greenhouse, I've got tomatoes, chilies, aubergines, early salads, coriander, pap choy, to name a few, all coming up looking quite good. Um, and I've also got my sweet peas from the autumn, really healthy, desperate to be planted outside. So I've been waiting for it to warm up a bit, which I think it's beginning to now. Um, I shall harden them off. And then I've also got some shallots waiting to be evicted and onions were planted in the ground last month. So, yeah, so quite a lot going on. That's brilliant. And you, you protect your onions in a very ingenious way, don't you? I do. I'm not sure it's ingenious. It's quite Heath Robinson. I collect twigs and sticks, of which there's been quite a lot of debris in the garden this winter. And I literally throw it over the bed where I've planted my onion sets. And it protects the onions from being pulled out by pesky pigeons that literally sit on the wall above and watch what I'm doing. And they always try and pull out the tops of the onions. And it, it works brilliantly and costs nothing, you see. Very thrifty. And I think I just wanted to go back to your point about watering pots as well, because it's slightly counterintuitive. But in cold weather, it's really important to water pots because... Plants in the cold weather when there's a lot of wind lose a lot of moisture through evaporation through their leaves. And if the ground is frozen or the pots are devoid of moisture, there's no moisture for them to draw back up to replace that moisture that's lost through their leaves. So it's really, really important, even during the snowy weather that we've had, that you keep your pots watered and don't let them dehydrate because it will actually do your plants more good uh, than harm during cold weather and it feels like a strange thing to do because you feel like it's going to freeze solid but actually water has some insulating effect so it's a good really good thing to do yeah that's a really great point actually dan yes so moving on to our next uh section every week we are going to talk about something that is dear to our hearts in the news or of the moment and to kick off we're going to throw the spotlight on the humble spud and ask the question to chit or not to chit. 
Perhaps to start, we should explain what chitting is. Okay, so I'll talk about chitting because I like chatting and chitting is relatively similar. Um, It basically means placing your seed potatoes with an eye or some eyes pointing up towards the light in a cool, frost-free place to encourage them to start growing shoots. So the eyes are the little dots that if you look very carefully on your seed potato, you'll see, which is where each shoot is going to grow from. It's a really good thing to do for your first and second early potatoes as it gives them a good head start and a slightly earlier harvest. It can take about four to six weeks to start chitting for them to grow their shoots um, and they need to be really a minimum of about two centimetres before you should think about planting them outside. But you need to be on weather watch because you definitely do not want to plant them when there's frost outside. So mine have been chitting for about six weeks on a window ledge. They are about two centimetres tall and if it was a bit warmer, I would definitely be planting them out. But I think I'm going to wait to the end of, of this month, the end of March, before I do so. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea because it has been abnormally cold, hasn't it, in all parts of the country, really. And the the key thing is you don't want those shoots emerging above the ground, do you, before the frost has finished? Because any any frost is going to cause them to blacken. It, it's not the end of the world because they quite often will produce new shoots. But if you're wanting like you the really early uh, new potatoes then you've you've kind of got to crack on and um are there any particular varieties that you're growing this year julia any tips for people yes so my tip well i only really grow one variety of potato and that is the jersey royal which um is the variety is called international kidney so it's quite tricky to get hold of because there, there aren't many seed potatoes around. So I normally have to try and secure them in December, which is ridiculous, I know. But if I want to grow them, I have to find these seed potatoes. So I got mine in December and I just stored them away and they've been chitting since, um, since the middle of Feb, really. They are delicious, but there's a, you know, they're really good salad potatoes to get now as well. Charlotte's is another really good one to, to grow. And actually, I should have said, when I do plant mine out, I always put a nice bed of compost, home-produced compost, in the base just to give them a little bit of extra oomph to get them going. I mean, do you do anything like that, Dan? Yeah, so I'm lucky because I live by the sea and I am the madman, not only the madman with the purple wheelbarrow that walks up and down the high street, but the madman (laughs) who carries uh, carrier bags full of seaweed back from the beach every day and uh, uses it in the bottom of my uh, trenches when I'm planting anything really like a potato or runner beans or anything like that because the seaweed is very very rich in nutrients and actually takes quite a long time to break down so as a slow release fertilizer it's, it's absolutely brilliant and potatoes seem to love it so of course historically uh, particularly in places like Scotland, it was it was used a lot to fertilise um, potatoes, and and it's not the salt in it is not something that people should worry about because it's it's a very very minimal amount of salt that will be stuck on the on the seaweed. So, give it a go if you've got access. Of course, you must always um, harvest cast seaweed, which means that it's detached. You must never go around uh, yanking seaweed off the rocks because uh, that is uh, protected. But if it's already loose and it's sort of stranded on the beach, it's fine. It's fine to use. Um, what about main crop potatoes? Are they worth chitting? Do you think, Julia? Well, 
you can do. I mean, personally, I wouldn't really bother, but but you can do. I just think by the, by the time you've got your main crops ready, everything else is going on and the weather's warmer outside and you could just put them in. But, you know, I don't really bother with main crop because I want to grow something that is a little bit more difficult and more expensive to find. And they also take up a lot <laughs> of space in my garden. And I, I grow a lot of things, but in not that large a space. I'm just slightly laughing to myself, Dan, about you with your carrier bags and the seaweed. I actually have realised you're thriftier <laughs> than you realise. <laughs> well, I Money don't mind saving. if it's free. If it's free, you've got to go for it, haven't you? But um, oh, I have had just such such good results. We have very, very chalky soil here, which is very pre-draining. So anything that I can add to it, which um, traps a bit of moisture, is is really, really useful. Um, no, that's great. But it's interesting because I, I, I am a bit different to you in that I grow sort of five to six different varieties of potato to try and extend the season for as long as possible. But you, but you are quite right that they do take up an awful lot of space. Um, we have the luxury of an allotment, which helps a little bit with that. But um, we grow everything from a variety called Swift, which I think is a very early one, a bit like your international kidneys, and then yep. uh, right the way through to Cara, which is only just recently that we dug up our last Caras. It's a really good main crop potato that is brilliant for baked potatoes, so we, we do that as well. Wow, so that's amazing, Dan. basically, yeah, in conclusion then, so we are pro-titting, but yes. um, but mainly for the first earlies and second earlies, we think that's a good thing. I yeah, would agree. Definitely. Yes. Well, and I also I didn't ask you about earthing up. Do you bother earthing up your potatoes? So earthing up is the process of covering all the green shoots that poke through once you've planted your potatoes to protect them from frost. Because if a late frost comes and it attacks the green shoot, that goes all the way back down the stem, down to the seed potato, and it destroys your whole crop. So I do earth up when I see the shoots until I lose the will to live and I'm doing it daily. Do, do you do that, Dan? <laughs> well, we do normally, Julia, but we were very lazy last year and didn't bother. Um, we don't get many frosts down here at all, full stop. We haven't had one yet. And of course, everyone else has been um, suffering from snow and, and a cold winter. It's because we're so close to the sea. But uh, we were a little bit lazy last year, didn't do it. I suspect it may have had a slight impact on the amount of potatoes that we got because when you earth up potatoes, it encourages the production of more tubers from the shoots that are covered with earth. Um, and we didn't do that. So um, there might have been a slight difference, but there's only two of us to feed. So we had plenty of potatoes and we weren't worrying about it too much. So... Yes, we'll we, we'll try it if we've got the time and energy this year. Yes, okay. I forgot to say that I do another little thrifty thing too. If a seed potato is quite large, I cut it in half because I think I get more smaller potatoes. Yes, and I've seen that, and that is that is super thrifty. Um, any tips for doing that? So, how do you <laughs> cut them in half? Do you do it so that the rows ends, the shooting ends? Or do you do it sort of top to bottom as if it was an egg? Uh, no, I go the other way. I go right across the side as if it's a tomato. Okay, so through the middle. So you end up with the if sort of blunt sense. end and the pointy end are separate. Yes. And then, then yes. you do you chit those then? Yes, yes, they're all chitted. Brilliant. And then, and, and what happens to the cut side? Because I, I guess some people might worry whether that would go 
mouldy or do, what happens to it? Does it well, just dry? Some people, some people dip them. Yeah, some people dip them in sulphur just to stop it from going mouldy or damp. But because my my room is sort of quite a temperate climate, then it literally seals over naturally within a couple of days, and I've never had a problem. Brilliant. Well, that's a fantastic tip, especially when you buy seed potatoes. You can quite often buy them by weight, so um, that allows you to sort of double your your number of potatoes for the for the same cost. So I think exactly. Yes. Another great thrifty tip from Julia. Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to do every time we have one of these chats, I'm going to try and write them up as a blog post and put them on Dan Cooper Garden in the advice and inspiration section so that you can benefit from Julia and I's wisdom on the subject of chitting. So we'll leave our chitting chit chat there and move on to our next segment, which is our project and product of the week. Julia's book, The Little Grower's Cookbook, is crammed with fun, money-saving projects, and each fortnight she's going to share one of her quick and easy gardening hacks with us. What fiendishly clever idea do you have up your sleeve this time? Well, it's funny you should use that expression, up your sleeve, because um, I'm collecting loo roll inserts, actually. <laughs> I don't know what you call them. I call them car- loo roll card inserts, but on Friday I was somewhere, and... Um, I actually quite forgot where I was and there was an empty one and I was in a restaurant. So I appeared out of the ladies' loo with this in my hand and I got an awfully strange <laughs> look from a fellow a fellow diner. And then I thought, oh, I better not walk out into the restaurant with it. So I literally shoved it up my sleeve. And what I noticed is that some places have much wider card loo inserts which make better planters. So I know this sounds mad. I collect loo roll inserts to use them as biodegradable planters. So you couldn't have introduced me better with that, Dan. Um, They make the best biodegradable pots because A, they're free and um, we have lots of them uh, in the home. And um, and broad beans are a really good thing to sow them in. Sweet peas too. But this month, I would suggest that you collect your loo roll inserts and plant one broad bean seed in each one, which you've filled with compost and um, lightly watered and just leave them in a cool night place away from the frost. They don't need heat, so the cold temperatures are fine. And in a couple of weeks, your broad beans will germinate. And they grow really quickly with the roots, which is why you use long, long containers, which is why I like the loo rolls. You can buy root trainers, but if you've got something for free, why not? And so when they've got two pairs of leaves, um, I would plant them directly outside into, into the veg patch. I think they're brilliant. Dan, can I get you to start collecting some? <laughs> well, you, you, as you know, you already have. And I've got some sweet peas just coming on in the greenhouse. Um, but there's a couple of little things. So one is how do you stop them all falling over? Because they're quite tall, aren't they? And um, I, I have a problem that every time I sort of pick up the container they're in, they all sort of topple all over the place. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. So what I do is I save those plastic supermarket cartons and um, you can actually fit eight, <laughs> eight loo rolls standing upright really neatly, which support each other. And to stop the soil spilling out from the base, I just cut four little snips and I fold in the base, very blue Peter, and that just gives a little, um, a, a little uh, covering to stop the soil from falling out. So it reduces their height by uh, about five centimeters but that's still fine and i and i move them around because the cartons are really good because that's like a little tray you can move them around and they fit a window ledge perfectly or wherever you're going to put them 
So that's how I do it. I'm also really careful not to overwater them because otherwise the whole loo roll can disintegrate before <laughs> the seed has germinated properly. Now, that was my other question because sometimes if they get very soggy, they can collapse and they can even start sort of looking a tiny bit mouldy, can't they? So um, is your best tip to keep them on the drier side? Yes, yeah, keep them on the drier side. Just don't overwater them because if there's really no warmth whatsoever where you're keeping them um, and particularly actually if you're doing sweet peas in them in the autumn they're in those lures quite a long time they could go moldy on the outside so like everything little and often is my advice excellent well i definitely did try your tip about snipping them at the bottom and that was brilliant because otherwise the soil just falls through the bottom until the root ball is big enough to sort of contain the compost in there so that is a that is a brilliant yeah. tip and did you you squash them flat don't you a couple of times to help you where know where to put the yeah snips. so you don't have to do that but you can just put ball snips as equal as possible in the base but you can you can literally stamp it with your hand so it goes completely flat and then ping it back and then turn it on the other side and stamp it so you end up with four creases yeah. and you could snip in those four creases but, you know, it doesn't have to be too clever. Apart from broad beans and sweet peas, then, is there anything else you could grow in um, in toilet roll tubes? Well, you could, something that has a deep root. To be honest, I suppose something like a runner bean, but by that stage when you're sowing them, they grow so quickly, you, you're hardly in control of the loo or the broad bean and they're ready to go outside. So well, I can't see the point of growing much else in them. Very important <laughs> in life to be in control of your loo rolls, I think. But uh, great tip. And um, and yes, it's because of you that I have carrier bags full of these things uh, in my workshop. And I've even started cutting up the long tubes that come inside roll wrap now. Uh, cutting them into sections oh, yes. as well so um yes so maybe thriftiness is catching uh <laughs> <laughs> top student dan <laughs> brilliant okay so now now on to you dan so dan has set up this amazing new business and website called dancoopergarden.com it boasts an enviable range of garden tools garden accessories and also gifts that he's curated based on personal experience and in each of our episodes, uh, Dan is going to share his product of the week. So, Dan, so I'm going to ask you, what indispensable item do you have in store for us today? Well, here I have a rubber seed tray. Well, in fact, I have two rubber seed trays, a big really? one and a small one. And um, these are brilliant because, as you can see, they are quite conventional looking seed trays. But instead of being made out of plastic, which we all know is not great for the environment. These are made out of natural rubber. Now, natural rubber is actually grown on uh, very small plantations that have either been there for a long time or are grown on lands that wasn't forest previously. And um, these rubber seed trays are made from rubber from very small plantations that would otherwise be uh, ripped up and converted to things like palm oil. And they're fair, fairly traded as well, so that the, the growers in these small plantations get um, much more than the average price for the rubber they use. And, uh, of course, people won't be able to see, but I'm busy flexing and uh, probably scattering compost all over my keyboard here. But uh, they're very, very flexible and, um, and also they're quite thick, so they can just be reused over and over again. These are never going to uh, break. 
Um, and they're quite thick as well. So rubber is a good insulator and will keep the roots of the seedlings a lot warmer than a plastic seed tray will, which is very, very thin. So there's a, a couple of different options. There's this one, which is for your little diddy seedlings when you're just, um, you can either sew them into this or you can prick them out into this. And then there's a slightly larger one with six modules rather than the 30 in the other one um that you can grow slightly larger plants in so that i think those are great they are a great alternative to plastic and something that you can just keep reusing for years and years oh they look fantastic dan so so you get one with six modules and then how many do you save for the second one the larger there's 30, one there's 30 there's 30 in this little one yes 30? yes okay yeah Brilliant. And, and they're, they're black, aren't they? So they would absorb the heat and be quite helpful with helping to germinate yes. seedlings. Or do they yes. come in other colours? Um, no, they're just black, which I think is the kind of standard colour for rubber. But um, yes, it will absorb heat from the sun, which, okay. is, which is good. But it's also, as I say, quite um, a good insulator. So if you get any cold weather, um, the roots shouldn't freeze in these. I I, uh, no, I I just gave this one a little clean um, because this one has, has been used. And actually, um, just sort of hot soapy water, you can easily get that cleaned. I used, I'm a bit pedantic about cleanliness, so I used a toothbrush to get the little bits out of the bottom. But it's, um, I, who has time for that, Oh, really? I was going to ask you how you clean them. <laughs> I was going can, to ask you how you clean them and what you used. I think hot soapy water, just with a little bit of uh, washing up liquid, is the best thing to do. But um, you could, if you really wanted okay. to, pop them in the dishwasher. Any rubber is fine, but you, you would probably want to avoid using the, the dishwasher tablets or anything like that, so that the rubber... Um, isn't sort of affected by any chemicals yeah oh that's a good idea the dishwasher although i think i probably would be divorced if i started putting my seat trays in the dishwasher <laughs> it as probably well as would, seedlings all it over would the probably disrupt floor. the order of things wouldn't it yes <laughs> it might slightly and so because I, i've got one of yours which i'm trying yeah. which is brilliant i've got the six module one but we haven't come into really hot weather yet and with the plastic ones that we've been all buying and hopefully we're using for years they tend to crack when they have yeah. extreme temperatures. So I'm just wondering, presumably the rubber would survive all that? Yes, it would. I mean, it's. I don't think any any amount of uh, heat wave is going to make the rubber molten. Um, I think that, you know, rubber has been used for car tyres and, you know, think about what else rubber is used for. It's incredibly resilient material. It can withstand... Yeah. Um, a lot of pressure it can withstand weight it can withstand heat so um vastly more durable than plastic oh brilliant it's an inspired idea dan and actually i think i must be after this recording of the podcast i'll be logging online to dancooper.com <laughs> and ordering some more because I, I the one i've got is brilliant so yeah thank you fantastic Okay, so um, gosh, we're on the home stretch now, believe it or not. We've nearly made it to the end of our podcast. <laughs> so it's time to look forward to the fortnight ahead. So shortly after this episode is released, um, spring, fingers crossed, will officially start and the clocks will go forward. It can't come soon enough. So I've got, um, well, we're going to talk about three top things, aren't we, Dan, that we're going to, we to do at the end of each episode. So. I've got three important things to do, which are planting out my chitter potatoes, which you know we've discussed going to do that. 
I'm going to pot on my tomatoes soon in February. They're in propagators and they need to be moved on to, to slightly larger pots, still keeping them warm. And then I'm going to be planting my shallots outside that have been sitting on the window ledge in the greenhouse and my sweet peas too. So what are your top three things that you're going to do, Dan? Well, I think over the course of these uh, podcasts, you'll realise that I'm often on the back foot. So (laughs) I have got a few (laughs) things to do that should have been done before. One of them is cleaning my greenhouse. So really important now that uh, greenhouses are clean and empty to make room for the plants, which just will expand exponentially over the next few weeks. It's important for things like seedlings that the glass in your greenhouse or if it's plastic is really, really clean to maximise the amount of light that comes in. And you also don't want any debris around that might sort of harbour pests and diseases. So I need to get out there. What what I am waiting for is a really nice warm day because there are things in there that need to come outside so that I can have a good old scrub and it needs to be not too much of a shock so i'm going to wait for a warm day put everything outside get it done and then they can all go back and uh, stay cozy and snug i've got lily bulbs to pot up i love my lilies um and they're a staple part of my summer pot display so i shall be potting up lilies some lilies, like the oriental lilies, like a slightly uh, neutral or acidic compost and other ones like an alkaline compost. So I always have to um, juggle the compost depending on the variety of lily. And it's a good idea to um, to know what, what your lily's preference is because they if you plant the acid-loving ones in alkaline compost, they're, they're not so happy and they will um, gradually die away. Um. I'm also going to be uh, refreshing my little pot display that I keep around my outdoor kitchen sink. So I'm always dropping in something new there that looks uh, pretty at the moment. There are lots of primroses out there, but the snowdrops and the crocuses will soon be over. And I shall take those out and pop something else in there in in its place, which is why I love growing plants in pots so much, because you can take away, you can edit, delete anything that's not looking so good and replace it with something else. So I'll be doing that. And if yep, I'm very true. allowed, um, if I'm allowed a fourth one, I just wanted to, uh, am I, am I, I before, <laughs> before I go ahead? Go on then. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention um, snow damage because I think lots of people will uh, be coming out of the last few weeks um, with with plants that may have been damaged by the snow. Um, and a couple of things can happen. One is that the snow can physically break branches or crush plants, and the other is that the cold can damage them, and it particularly um, affects things like bay trees, which are very popular um, in gardens, uh, and and it can make the leaves go brown, and that's caused by um, desiccation, so basically the leaves are dehydrated um, by the cold. So my my real tip and my real play would be that if um, you've got had snow damage, is just leave well alone for as long as you can because plants have the most incredible way of regenerating themselves and um, you need to leave any plants that you think might be dead because of the snow and the cold, you need to leave them until at least the middle of the summer 
uh, to see if they re-sprout either from the existing part of the plant or from the base. The only thing I would suggest dealing with straight away is anything that is obviously dangerous. So if you've had any branches that have broken and things like rhododendrons, we went to Stourhead recently and saw that some of the rhododendrons there had literally been heaved out of the soil by the cold and then had split apart. And if you so if you've got anything Gosh. dangerous, you need to um, you need to deal with that. But everything else, just leave it and let it recover. Definitely do not wade in with your pruners first thing because pruning away dead material now will just cause further stress to the plant. So just leave it alone, wait till the weather uh, warms up and then see what happens and hopefully your plants will recover. Yeah, that's great advice, Dan, because actually when you say leave alone, um, I it doesn't mean you leave the snow on there because I go out with my long handled broom and I brush off particularly off my topiary bay, as much snow as I can to stop the snow just sitting there because it's it's very heavy snow, isn't it? Um, a lot of people, I've noticed, forget to remove the tops of their fruit cages and the snow comes and sits heavy and breaks the whole thing. I mean, it can destroy polytunnels and all sorts of things. So, so yes, yeah, so remove the snow and then leave well alone. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why I d I'm not a great fan of fleece for that same reason that you were talking about your fruit cage, because fleece just creates a layer that the snow can't go through and basically then crushes the plants beneath it. It's much better for the snow to settle naturally yeah. and then for you to go out there with a broom or something and brush it off. You're, you're absolutely right. Tops of hedges, topiary, any thing that you're trying to shape again I went to another garden quite recently where the yew columns had split apart because of the weight of the snow on the top um so with things like that you can you can quite easily get them back into shape by using um a sort of wire ring or something to tie them back in into shape but yes definitely in the moment oh, that's a good idea. brush that snow off um, but if there's damage beneath, just just leave it um, and and let let the plant have time to regenerate. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great advice. Okay. So, well, we're, we're talking a bit about getting out and about, but we both like to get out and about. And and each episode, we're going to share what we're going to get up to between this episode and the next one. What are your plans, Julia? Well, my plans, I've been really busy recently with some workshops, so I'm having a little rest from that now, and I'm now beginning to plot and plan what is going to happen at the Chelsea Flower Show, which is very exciting. I am slightly laughing. I'm going to be spending more time in my greenhouse as well, and, and actually, you, you're waiting for a nice warm day. Whereas I actually chose the snow day to go and clean my greenhouse. It was mad, and I had to be careful around <laughs> all my plants, as I certainly wasn't going to put anything outside. But anyway, I will probably be mostly found in my greenhouse in the next two weeks. What about you? Well, I think there's no nicer place to be than in a greenhouse. Like my favourite time to be in a greenhouse is actually when it's raining because I love to hear the sort of pitter-patter of the raindrops on the glass oh. and know that I'm all dry and cosy. Um, but yes, March has been quite a quiet month for me. It's the calm before the storm um, and an opportunity to recharge my batteries before all the plant fairs that I go to uh, kick off. I have visited a couple of gardens. As I mentioned, Starhead was a real highlight. Always beautiful to see that and fantastic when there's no leaves on the trees because you can see the real structure and the, the imagination that went into that landscape. 
I'm off to Surrey soon to do uh, one of my private garden consultations, which I'm really looking forward to. And I'm starting some mentoring with one of my old colleagues who is coming back from South Africa and wants to get her small London garden into shape. So I'm going to be helping her over the next few weeks to realise the dreams for her little London plot. Oh, that's a really nice project. Lucky her having you on hand to advise, I must say. <laughs> Oh, well, so you. Dan, we've we've done it nearly. We've recorded our first episode of Two Good Gardeners. <laughs> I'm beginning to think we should be called the Two Mad Gardeners. But anyway, maybe <laughs> listeners can decide and write in. No, no, I don't mean that. <laughs> so how, how does it feel now we're nearly at the end? <laughs> oh, it feels quite good. I have to say I've never had my ears have never been hotter because I've I've never in my life really worn headphones. And uh, so this is probably the first time. And I, they make you really quite warm. So uh, <laughs> it has been um, it has been a pleasure and, and a massive learning curve, hasn't it? So all I can say is that, you know, if we can start off like this, that things are only going to get better, aren't they? <laughs> well, I hope so. Yes, learning curve it has been. I mean, none of you will know the shenanigans that went on before we actually hopped on to record. Uh, but we have a wonderful patient producer holding our hands, thankfully. So um, I guess that's... All that's left to say really is thank you to everyone for listening or the one person or just the members of our families. Um, coming up next time in episode two, we're going to be chit-chatting about sweet peas, which the nation's favourite flower, I think it can be named, and Dan's guide to growing dahlias and top veggie sowing tips from me. So until the next time, everyone, thanks very much for listening. Happy gardening and see you in two weeks. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Two Good Gardeners podcast with me, Dan Cooper. And me, Julia Parker. Sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse. Designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then why not subscribe so you don't miss out on future ones? We'll return here with a freshly prepared smorgasbord of delights in a fortnight. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Dan Cooper Garden, at Parker's underscore patch, and at Two Good Gardeners, or visit our websites at dancoopergarden.com and parkerspatch.com. If you've got a question for either of us, you can email it to hello at dancoopergarden.com. Until the next time, happy gardening!